Welcome to All Things New Dot Tech, where we are exploring the intersection of theology and technology. Technology is changing our jobs, relationships, and even our identities. It's easy to get excited about all the new things. But as Christians, we also believe God is redeeming this world through his effort, making all things new. This podcast features conversations with entrepreneurs, technologists, and innovators, examining how technology transforms our understanding of God, his creation, and what it means to be human. Today, Paul Taylor from All Things New chats with Tom Keller, the CEO of CrowdSmart. Tom earned his PhD in electrical engineering from Drexel University and has 25 years of experience in building and taking companies public. At CrowdSmart, he leads the development of artificial intelligence that makes better and unbiased predictions of investment success. In this episode, Paul and Tom will discuss how to think theologically about artificial intelligence and other emerging technologies. Tom will also share his story of finding his calling as a technology executive and provide insightful advice for Christian technologists looking to ground their work in faith. We hope you enjoy the conversation. All right, well, we are here for our um, first All Things New podcast episode that we're recording under shelter in place during this COVID-19 crisis. And I have the privilege here to be here with Tom Keller and... uh, Really, I've enjoyed getting to know him over the past uh, few weeks after having been introduced to him. He has decades of work in AI and tech, uh, first with Texas Instruments and then at Telecorp and several companies since, and now with a company called CrowdSmart that's working on AI in the investing space. Tom was uh, in the first wave of e-commerce back in the 90s, and he's been using AI in his career for a long, long time. So we're going to have a great conversation about artificial intelligence and um, all the different things that, that, that Tom has experience with, including a lot about physics. So this should be an interesting conversation. Tom, thanks for being with us. It's a pleasure to be here, Tom. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, I always like to just kind of start things off by having our guests introduce themselves and tell us a bit about your story, how, how you first got interested in technology. I got interested in technology really very young. My dad uh, <clears throat> was a... Uh, pastor and but he also uh as a individual just was a technology buff so we had it is some time ago but we had just anything having to do with uh well he's an amateur radio operator is that was one area that got expressed and he was very much involved in something called the uh, amateur radio missionary service so he oh. also his uh interest in technology uh, touched over into ministry. And uh, I was a, you know, nine, 10 year old kid. And I got, you know, very interested in electronics and actually got my novice license at 11 years old and got my general license at 12. So I got very interested in tech that way. And, you know, he had a lot of interest in all audio recording technologies as well. So wow. uh, we actually had an ability to, uh, cut 78 rpm records uh, it was like a needle that would work on that so anything having to is do that with right? that at your house you could make records at your house yes that's awesome yeah there was a uh, i i've long lost it uh should have kept it but there was yeah. a brother of my a, a recording of my brother at three years old singing jesus loved me which would have been 1945 wow but i i don't I, but we had that stuff around the house unfortunately when you're 
younger, you don't look at that and say, oh, my gosh, that's great. You get those ideas in your head when you're older. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. I didn't realize that your, I mean, not just technology, but technology with ministry was kind of part of your life from a really That was age. very much it. In fact, that made me want to do the same thing. Uh, mm. And so I had a very good relationship with my dad. That's not always the case when you're a teenager, but I, I, I happened to uh, have a good one. And, uh, and so I got, I would be often be on these things where we were talking to literally people like in, you know, you know, in our Christian history books, people like Rachel Saint. So we yeah. actually had conversations with Rachel Saint when she was, uh, going back in and all that sort of stuff. So it was really an exciting adventure for me. And then when these people were on furlough, they come to our home. And, wow. uh, and so I got to meet uh, missionaries coming in from the field and had all these wild and crazy experiences. And particularly, I got very interested in the work that was being done by Wycliffe Bible translators. And uh, so I wanted to apply Believe it or not, I had this crazy idea, apply computer uh, technology to Bible translation. And this was in around 1964, wow, 1965. Um, so, yeah, that's what got me off into tech. That's amazing. I was I was wondering if you were involved with some of the stuff going on in Ecuador, because my sister was a medical missionary in Shell for about 10 years at the at the place where Nate Saint and Jim Elliott and all of that had gone HCJB, uh, yeah. I knew those people. I, I we probably could play around with some names. A guy named Marty Picasso. I think he was a guy out of Haiti, though. But there mm. were a lot of so I would. It was the cool thing was uh, my parents also were uh, entertainers. So my mom was a phenomenal cook. So we would typically have dinners at our house several times a week so i just huh. you know our you know it was sort of like uh uh i don't know how to explain it but just as a, a people coming through so I, I met a lot of these people i went off to college thinking literally uh i was going to be a double e that went off and helped the jungle aviation and radio fellowship uh uh yeah radio service at the time yeah. and and there's other story, things that happened in the interim, but uh, that was what you know initially got me into tech. And frankly, what initially got me into AI, because this whole notion of using computers for natural language was a pretty new idea in yeah. 1964, 65. But over the following, there were some beginnings then, but uh, it was as I you know continued that interest that actually turned into uh, a career in artificial intelligence. Yeah. How did you make that bridge? How did you start? So what happened, it was kind of a, uh, it's, uh, so what happened was I went off to uh, uh, university, uh, Drexel University uh, with the idea I would uh, study double, and I was a double E and very much interested in communications and was really doing a lot of things around uh, communication. But on the side, uh, the interest in linguistics was just a side thing, you know, trying to watch what's going on there. And and through, uh, I think it was, I'm trying to get the timing right here, but during this period of time, uh, I also, um, my scholarship got canceled. And it wasn't because oh. of anything I did. It was a, a, a political thing that happened in the state of Pennsylvania at the time. And I was a you know, preacher's kid, no money, zero money. 
and I was going to a private school, which at the time, the annual cost of the school was about the average income of a, uh, uh, you know, an engineer or whatever. It was, it was expensive. And so um, I was just out of luck and thought, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I happened to be roaming the halls of the university and a professor, Richard Corrin, uh, took interest in me. He's a, uh, tur- turns out he was agnostic Jewish, but he, he really loved what I was uh, about me and literally got me into not only a scholarship, but uh, early entrance into the graduate school and a graduate student stipend. And wow. this over the next literally uh, weeks, but he said, you got to work on a PhD and study solid state physics. And I thought, okay, God, uh, this is what I'll do. And, uh, and then it also turned out, you know, this is also a God thing is next door to him was a guy who became my prayer partner every day, a professor in electrical engineering, a guy named Bill Graff, uh, who we would get together uh, every day uh, and, and, uh, you know, and pray about things. So during that period of time, I really thought I was drifting away yeah. from the AI thing. But it turns out for my thesis, I ended up doing some things that later became clear were the elements of what became machine learning. Mm-hmm. And so all of, I didn't realize this, but God did. Uh, I didn't realize this, but I literally was one of the earliest uh, in terms of applying machine learning to applied physics. And uh, out of that, you know, more things developed. So uh, then I, when I got my PhD, I still thought, okay, I'm going to figure out a way to do the missionary thing. So I went uh, to study with the summer Institute of linguistics. Uh, This is summer of 72. Um, Then I started to get connect. I mean, as you probably, or maybe listeners would know this, the SIL had a very strong academic component. And so there was like Professor Joe Grimes at Cornell and Ken Pike at Michigan and all these people that I suddenly there now I saw that this was a great intellectual environment for this. And uh, but at the time uh, and I was actually, you know, able to meet with the president of uh, uh, SIL and we talked about it. But at the time, there really wasn't a role for a. Uh, you know, like to do this kind of research at Wycliffe. So I became right. a professor of computer huh. science and physics and helped them on an advisory basis. And that's when I started to veer more and more into artificial intelligence. Well, I love hearing people's stories about how they got into technology because, you know, as a pastor, a lot of times people ask you, well, what's your what's your calling story? Where did you get your calling into ministry? And I I think God gives callings into all sorts of things. And so, you know, you kind of hear how God works even for you in losing the scholarship and getting a new scholarship and seeing how God called you into technology. And um, just from the little we've talked, it sounds like that's always been a sense of yours, that you've had this calling and and have sensed God leading you in that way. No, I mean, it it was, I mean, it's like I just didn't listen very well because even when we, so I went off and I was a professor for a while, taught physics and computer science, did more work in natural language processing, which is a subset of AI and knowledge representation. So I started moving into that and I got an opportunity then to go 
be a co-leader of the AI group at uh, Texas Instruments, which had a bunch of mostly MIT people. And so that was just awesome. Yeah. And um, while there I got recruited, uh, Ed Feigenbaum is one of the founders of uh, Expert Systems, Artificial Intelligence, professor at Stanford, very popular in the early 80s. Uh, he had done a startup and he asked me if I wanted to come to California and be the chief technology officer for uh, that company. It was called Intelligenetics. It was going to be applying mm. AI to genetic engineering. You talk wow. about a little ahead of time. That's yeah. what we started out doing. And but, however, uh, I still thought, you know, some way I wanted to do something in ministry. So I signed up for the uh, intern program, uh, pastoral intern program at Peninsula Bible Church, which I there you go. do that on. Tuesdays and every other day of the week. And I somehow convinced this company that I was going to take a day a week uh, to do something other than tech. This was, by the way, before Google gave people you know, a day right, a week to yeah. do stuff. My day way a week before. to do stuff was to uh, be part of the intern program. That's awesome. And that's the program my wife and I went through that about, uh, let's say, almost 18 years ago now. It's, our church is still doing that program. It's a, it's a great training thing. Well, let's talk a little bit about AI because that's, you know, I think it's on a lot of people's minds and obviously AI is a huge field and I think that's not maybe always understood at the breadth of what AI encompasses, but how do you broadly think about artificial intelligence as a Christian? I mean, when you think about AI and theological ideas coming together, what, what types of themes emerge for you? Well, one of the very core, I mean, this has been, and it's still, uh, my, uh, I mean, I, this is just what I'm deeply fascinated with, the word, right? Mm. If you just go to the very center of what's the importance of the word, the word implies order. The word implies communication. The word implies, you know, uh, and, and the, the, the fact that it, the world is understandable. And if yeah. you just look at, uh, and I, I still think about this lots. If you think about one of the things you study in linguistics, Summer Institute of Linguistics, is, you know, you can go into a language and you can learn the sound system. You can learn the gra grammar just by interacting with people. That's kind of, that's a learning process. AI is uh -huh. about a learning process. And so I would think about, well, how, you know, how can you do this with software right yeah, uh yeah. and literally when i was still working uh with sil we developed something called an augmented transition network the popular thing actually coming out of mostly mit then with atns were the way you would represent how language worked and so i uh -huh. started applying atns to things like angas or choctaw or these other languages and thought well maybe missionaries could use these to figure out how language works. So the notion of language has been an understanding how we integrate language in the computer systems has been at the core of almost everything I've done then and even now. I mean, I just was on a, uh, a you know a call earlier today where we're talking about when we get people together to talk about an investment, if you can extract the meaning of what they're thinking about. You can make predictions out mm -hmm. of that. 
So the word language is in the sense of uh, the communication power, the uh, of, of all that has just been the, the, the thing that deeply fascinates uh, me more than anything else. I love that connection because, I mean, just the word and language and the spoken voice is such a powerful scriptural theme. I mean, that's how did God create? He created through through his voice. And so the word of God is is our scripture. The word of God is, is Christ. And the word of God is how God... Um, implements his will in his world you use the you use the term ordered it's how he creates order in his creation so maybe expand on that a little bit so how does ai then i mean are are you suggesting that ai is itself like a i mean obviously ai is written through a language a computer language but is ai a kind of a kind of language that we use to create order or to, to find order maybe well i look i look at ai as how do you take what we would consider intelligent processes that humans do and model it in a computer right okay, okay. just very simply so there's really two and and if you look at the uh, what goes on in ai today there's two things that are going on in ai one is called what was symbolic AI. And what that means is people would study how people think, how people reason, how people process language. And they would really literally write symbol manipulation systems to mimic that. So for example, if you take the early expert system side of AI, you think about if then rules. You know, if you see a certain situation, here's what you do. And they developed reasoning systems around taking collections of rules and having them actually do diagnosis like a doctor would, right? So you could say, I see a certain situation. Here are the things I think about. If I can verify those things, I have the answer. We took all of that and put that in medical diagnosis systems. And that's the kind of thing we worked on in IntelliCorp. Really complicated flowcharts, basically, a, a massive flowchart with lots of nodes. Right. But then the other aspect of, of then a, a symbolic AI is encyclopedic knowledge. And today you see that in Google's knowledge graph or things like that, but that's representation of knowledge. And by the way, some of the projects, and, and a, Doug, a guy named Doug Lennett uh, out of Stanford was a, he started working on, he wanted to build the world's biz, biggest knowledge base. It's called Psych. He's still working on it. Okay. Uh, these all these years later, and it is it's 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 massive, and he has a whole community around it. But this notion of just representing human knowledge in encyclopedic form. Now we have Wikipedia and other things that are ways of developing that. But that's part of AI is that representation of knowledge. The other part of AI is how our neurons work, mm-hmm. right? How we sense and learn patterns from data. That's called connectionist AI. And um, and the neural networks were also initially invented in the uh, in the early 60s. And that what is now part of deep learning and all the hot areas of AI now, they still had their roots. Uh, literally, both sides of this, I mean, the, the first conference where John McCarthy uh, named uh, the idea of AI was in uh, 1955. And uh-huh. uh, and then after that, things came out of that. Um, 
uh, Marvin Minsky and some of these people were literally uh, some of the core ideas we use today had their roots. The perceptron had its roots in the 60s. And uh, what has happened now is compute power and the amount of data and all of this has made a lot of these things that were initially concepts now real functioning capabilities. So that that version of AI is is more the machine learning side of things. That's kind of the black box AI where you have a black box that learns to recognize pictures of cats and nobody's actually sure how it does it. It's not following some set of flowcharts, but it's it's learning in the same way that we would learn in our brains. Is that right? Exactly right. And so that's okay. the notion of the way neurons work is you have inputs uh, that if they have the right blend, it'll cause an output, right? So you have this all interconnected and that's what a neural network is. It's just connections coming in. And if the right triggers happen, you have an output. Well, you build a neural network to a sense and then develop that. And then you train it by just giving it data patterns. And then it yeah. develops these pathways that it can then mimic what you trained it to do. Now, the problem with some of that is uh, it can be brittle because if it goes out of its zone where it knows what to do, it loses. And yeah, yeah. I'll give you an example. Try using uh, the navigation capabilities of uh, map directions when you're walking. If you're in a place like Half Moon Bay and you decide to take a different path. Right. Yeah, I did it. I do these experiments and it just... It's brittle. It only knows certain things to do. It's been trained to. And so you'll see that even in your road directions, when you get into a place where someone didn't go previously and train it, that's yeah. where today's statistical learning AI breaks down because it has, it only knows what to do where you gave it a lot of training data. If you didn't give it a lot of training data, it can't reason outside the box. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, this is probably a very bad analogy, but, um, it strikes me as you're talking about the two models of AI that they're similar in a sense to theologically the the law and the spirit. You know, Old Testament law is very prescriptive, and you know if your donkey does this, you, know, you kind of have to think through all the cases and have a solution figured out for it. And then New Testament being led by the Spirit is a little more uh, maybe amorphous, or you're, it's kind of a little more organic. And I, again, that's probably not a very fair analogy, but does that does that resonate at all the um i think there 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 could be some things there because it's sense and response so a lot wow. of and then so you learn the patterns of maybe sensing and responding uh and you know frankly we learn that by sensing and responding some things produce good outcomes and some don't right yeah and yeah. um and so Part of how we learn in our walk with God is, uh, is, is some of it is, well, I'll, I'll give you an example. I have a very, and my wife was asking me yesterday, you know, often, what do you really desire to do next or this or that? And I said, you know, my life has been so full of God's surprises. I don't know how to answer that question. Yeah. I usually just wake up and say, what do you want me to do today? Because I've just gotten so used to most of the time, almost every business activity, even when things really went well, it felt like it came to me as yeah. opposed to. And so to me, that's a little bit 
the you know the you know the opportunities that come to us yeah receiving uh, are are more you know things that god brings to us and and then uh yes yeah, so i think i'm more of a, a sense and respond person than i am a, a prescriptive person yeah well and that's how discipleship works right i mean how do you become like Jesus? It's not through a series of flowcharts. It's by spending time with him and watching, watching, learning from how he responds and then trying to mimic that in yourself. And, it, and so the whole nature, nature, uh, inert, uh, the nature of uh, the learning algorithms is nurturing in a certain domain or a certain area. And yeah. then they learn that. And by the way, what happens is you, you make a wrong choice, you get an error, right? Uh-huh. And so the, the way neural networks are trained, you just want to l- reduce the error. You, mm-hmm. So if it, and so there's, there's some analogy there is that, you know, we, uh, uh, you know, come off a little hot uh, in a discussion or an argument, we may sense the error and then back off, you know, maybe let's try a little kindness. Yeah, that's interesting. So this, uh, so this leads me to think, I mean, um, one of the ways that we have at All Things New uh, thinking about things is kind of a a chart we use to think about how God created us in his image. And we have this responsibility over the world to really rule in God's place over the world. And technology is a tool that we create to help us to do that. Um, and of course, it can be used towards helping us rule well, or it can be used towards helping us rule in ways that aren't very healthy. But um, one of the ways I've thought about it is kind of God created us in in his image, and now we create things in our images. And AI certainly fits in that category where we create this thing in our image and we're teaching it based on our own experiences. So in some ways, do we do we limit it by our own uh, you know, deficiencies, if it's learning from us and in our own even moral deficiencies, like how do we, can we create AI in a better image than ourselves? Does that Well, then, no, that's a very, really good question. I don't know that I have the answer, but I will tell you this, is that uh, one of the things we learn is that machine learning algorithms have the same in, ingrained biases, and, you know, that we have so for example if you're not careful and there are people who are now studying this deeply in fact a a guy i know has just finished his phd at uc berkeley in ai yesterday just at his defense and uh, he was a he worked with us uh on this i just had an email with him yesterday but one of the things he looked at is how do we detect ingrained bias in in algorithms so for example this can affect how people get loans. This can affect who gets, you know, uh, uh, even in the uh, criminal system. Uh, so what, you know, if we have racial bias and all that and how decisions were made in the past, that gets projected in how decisions are made now. It's really, it's, it, it is really spot on to that idea. How it can reflect our moral failures uh, in a machine learning algorithm just by reflecting from the past what goes forward. The way you yeah. would do this to get around that is not with basing AI models on the past, but you can, there's this notion of what are called generative models where you can generate based on beliefs. So huh. you could do things. There's uh, uh, 
they're called GAN models, generative adversarial models. So you come up with an idea and then you criticize it all within this one model. So these generative models can be uh, more creative uh, out of a, an assumption set that may be more. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm off in the, the, the clouds here a little bit, but the, yeah. the, the technology is there to do generative models. I'll just put it's it. It's kind of like the, the AI version of um, do what I say, not what I do. Yeah, that, exactly. That, that, So we had this notion at IntelliCorp, in fact, it was implemented in the product of an assumption-based truth maintenance system, you know, like that. So the idea was under a set of assumptions, you can run logic. And then what you want to do, the truth maintenance is keep keep it consistent, right? Just maintain what you said as the assumption and keep it consistent. Wow. And then see what happens. And then you have multiple worlds. So you could have an assumption set, see what that reasoning does. And I've often felt, now, that didn't have a lot of commercial success, as you can just hear from me explaining it. We sure. spent $3 million to build that thing. And I don't think everybody, anybody ever bought it. And that's where we got oh. over the edge and love of technology over figuring out what's going to sell. But yeah. I love that idea. It's, by the way, written up... Uh, um, it, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's written up in a couple of books uh, because it was academically interesting. But this notion of you can actually Im- you can mimic a belief system in an AI model, a symbolic That's AI model. Well, so the other way this occurs to me is, you know, the kind of popular fear of AI is that we would create something that then rises up against us and rebels against us. And I've often thought that's perhaps that is our fear because if we create AI in our image, we expect our image to rebel against us in the same way that we rebelled against the one who created us in his image. So if we are image bearers who rebelled against our creator, then we kind of have this built-in expectation that the images we create would rebel against us. Um, well, that, so that's why, you know, I've often thought, and I, I know some of the people who are really part of this concern about, and by the way, I dealt with this in the eighties too, you know, is it going to take away yeah. jobs? Is it going to change, you know, it's been yeah. around for a long time. Yeah. So that it is an absolute right fear mm-hmm. uh, because look, uh, the, there's this, the core nature of sin is I'm going to do it my way, right? Yeah. Uh, in other words, God loves us and he gives us this wonderful garden to live in. And we get the idea, you know what? I think I know better. Yeah. Right. And as soon as you say that, then it's not trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the only, and I, I, you know, so of course we should be concerned about that because if, because Look at all of our attempts. Every time we try to do things our own way, how often do they turn out to be right? That's right. Yeah. Rarely. <laughs> and and so that self-will yeah. is at the core. And if you sort of transfer that into a intelligence, I guess if you wanted to make a, a truly beneficial arti- artificial intelligence, you would have to have built in the belief system as to do unto others yeah. Uh, right. You would have to have that built in and then check in with the authority, you know, <laughs> right. uh, at, at never, 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 never act without checking in to your authority. And so if you did those two things, you'd have a good AI. That's amazing. Build in biblical principles. Um, 
Well, there's a question I wanted to ask you. You know, you have had you've seen a lot of technology over the course of your career. You've walked with Jesus a long time, and I'm I'm curious what advice you would have to um, kind of a new generation of Christian technologists. They're now, you know, maybe they're building startups or they're just getting involved in their careers and you know we are where we are now but who knows where technology is going to be 30 40 50 years from now what what advice would you have to somebody who's a young christian technologist kind of starting off i don't know how how could they think about their their calling as a technologist how to integrate their faith do you have any words of wisdom well that's a really good question and you know i'm so you know, I'm so locked into, uh, and I think it's, you know, when you get down to it, it was AI is about, you know, everything that kind of makes us human. So it's hard for me to think beyond that. I mean, that to me yeah. is a big enough problem for m at least my lifetime and a few others. Right. But, uh, but, but there is something um, at the core, which would be, as you get in, I mean, so I do really believe that this combination, and by the way, in, for my interest, this combination, I, there's a deep interest in philosophy as well. Yeah. What are the, you know, presuppositional systems that lead to outcomes? So I would say, whatever you do, uh, don't just purely go into looking at technology alone, look at uh, philosophy uh, literature. I mean, you know, read Dostoevsky, read Tolstoy, read, immerse yourself in people who've wrestled with the moral problems as well as looking at the technology. And, uh, and, and so I really, and that if you were to, you know, you see books or you're, we're not on, we're not on, uh, uh, there's books all over in my house and I have yeah. all the early church history and all that study about, you know, what it means to be a human as well as uh, how the technology interfaces with that. And you can go back even to Xerox Palo Alto Research Center, right? Kind of in backyard where we are right now. And my yeah. good friend of mine was John Seeley Brown. And he would bring in an Alan Kay and all these people. They have anthropologists. They would have, you know, people that what made things different is, is bringing in the whole human experience and the technology, not, and I would say that's the future. Things I think there's going to be a resurgence of the arts, of uh, music. I mean, my I have a 17-year-old son. He's interested in tech. So I guess I'd give the same advice here as I yeah. gave to him. Um, I, you know, tech tech is a is a way to do other things. So think about how music and tech uh, can integrate together. Think about how art and and technology can enhance the human experience. I think the new generation of technology is going to have a lot more considered this embedded nature, that it isn't a separate yeah. thing. Uh, and it just is not, you know, it's not going to be a separate thing. It's a lot more embedded uh, in the devices and, uh, in, in, you know, potentially in our clothing and everything else of right. what we're going to be doing in the future. So understanding the whole human experience probably then takes you back to, as a believer, understand the whole experience there too. That's beautiful. I love that answer because we say this all the time, but you know, all the questions seem to lead to this core issue of what does it mean to be human? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot of people's fear with technology is that it somehow would degrade the human experience. Well, so Dallas Willard with 
what does it mean to live a good life? Yeah, exactly. It's just that simple. And that's every every human being. Uh, and it's just, you know, you can kind of look and say, that is the core thing. And that's what we, you know, frankly, if we're involved in technology, uh, what we want to do is improve the quality of life. And, yeah. uh, and, and so... I, you know, I think that sometimes you can evaluate technologies that way. Good question. Which company improved the quality of life more? And this is going to be controversial, but Facebook or Google? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I <laughs> uh, think about it. You know, I don't know. Right. That's wonderful. Well, we're uh, wrapping up a little bit with time, but let me, I always like to end with two questions. Uh, the first is, as you think about where the future is going, what makes you most excited about where technology is headed? I think what makes me most excited is this opportunity to create greater transparency. Transparency is in the favor of spiritual truth. And you even see it now. Remember when you used to read of the things you did in secret or shouted from the mountaintops? Guess what? It's happening right now. Now it's true. And, yeah. and, and so, you know, frankly, technology has made it harder to be secretive. Secret, yeah. Secrecy is probably the greatest enemy of spiritual growth. Right. And so the thing that makes me most excited is the ability. I mean, honestly, as believers, our mission is to partner with God to bring uh, the kingdom of heaven here yes. and now, which yep. is a kingdom that's about God's love yep. and uh, stuff done in secret quite often is not going to be loving, <laughs> you know? Right. And yeah. I mean, I don't you can go any which way with that, whether it's, trying to do a power play and doing a business deal or whatever else might be going on. So yeah. I think transparency is, is a big one. And then, in, you know, we're involved very much right now with trying to level the playing field for entrepreneurs. Hmm. Why should it matter if you're uh, what your race or your gender or anything in your background in terms of access to capital? Shouldn't it be based on your idea and your abilities? And yeah. so that, that, is very, uh, you know, it's got a deep spiritual principle with it. We were all created equal and, uh, and access should be equal and technology can do that. So we can, you know, in our platform as it's coming out, any investor anywhere in the world and any entrepreneur anywhere in the world can get connected and go forward. That's great. I love that. Well, then the, the corollary question is what, scares you the most about where technology might do i have us. to end on that why didn't you do the I'm joking. that's true i should i should switch around the order and on a high note no it's okay um you know i'm trying to answer that without getting too controversial but uh the opposite of transparency i think is the scariest part is mm -hmm. uh that you know technology's in the wrong hand and we saw some of that with uh yeah. this whole notion that we can be we can have a silo around us that's manipulated. So the loss of truth. Yeah. And probably the thing that's disturbed me most in the last four years is the loss of confidence in truth finding. Yeah. And that's so the technology has played a role in that because you can, uh, we could fake this interview if we wanted to, if we right. played around with it, or you could have me saying things that I didn't say. Yeah. Uh, and the, so there is that that's scary to me that uh, there can there can be manipulation, use technology to manipulate what is real.
and uh, and that that I think is is the biggest concern. That's a great answer. It's a great answer. Optimistic about transparency and and worried about lack of transparency. That's deep biblical principles. That's great. Well, thanks, Tom. It's been really fun to chat. There's a lot more we could discuss, but it's a, it's been really neat. Thank you. Thank you very much, Paul. Enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to All Things New Tech. We hope you continue the conversation by subscribing to our blog at allthingsnew.tech. We have a variety of authors working together to develop a biblical framework for engaging with technology. Check it out. Join the conversation.
Thank you for listening to allthingsnew.tech. We hope you continue the conversation by subscribing to our blog at allthingsnew.tech. We have a variety of authors working together to develop a biblical framework for engaging with technology. Check it out. Join the conversation.